0: Hi, everybody, welcome to this episode of the Dr. J Show where we discuss issues in nonprofits, small businesses, and in society. The Dr. J Show is a production of Bollinger Solutions, a provider of business and nonprofit consulting services. You can learn more about Bollinger Solutions at BollingerSolutions.com. Today, I'm super excited to be joined by Jeff Jorgensen, the Executive Director for Open Air Education, a nonprofit dedicated to making aviation achievable, accessible, and affordable to everyone. So we're gonna dive into Jeff's background in aviation and why and how aviation can and should be Accessible, affordable, and achievable for everyone. Jeff, how are you doing today? I'm nice. I'm amazing. Thank it. you
1: so much for having me uh, on this episode today, and uh, and for all of your help with the uh, Open Air Organization. Uh, Bollinger Solutions has been an instrumental part in helping uh, grow and develop our, or I should say, develop and grow our organization. So I appreciate all of your uh, your hard work. Um, And gosh, I mean, we've been working together for uh, some time now, a couple of years. Yeah, a couple of years, you know, and and I think it's funny,
0: you know, our meeting each other really was, it really was an accident uh, when I was serving as an AmeriCorps VISTA. and, And I feel like, you know, one of the hard parts about running a nonprofit is finding resources. And I really feel like a lot of resources get found by accident, and that's kind of what happened for us. I had to, I needed to fill a need. I had a need that need, that that I was really struggling with, and you had a lot of ideas that that I didn't from talking to you didn't feel like you had a way to to make uh, successful, and and didn't quite know what direction to take them in. And so you know, having a mutual Connection bring us together. I, I think was great. So yeah. let's dive into let's dive into your background a little bit in in terms of aviation. So kind of talk us through your journey. Start
1: at the beginning. Uh, as a kid, I wanted to be a pilot, and uh, you know, the, so the short version is I didn't know how. I had no idea. And this is before the internet, of course, and so. I went to uh, you know, I, I, so I asked my you know my parents, and they said, "Well, you know, you have to be really rich or really smart." Well, I that well, that you know, that's two strikes against me already. Uh, I went to a school counselor. I'm like, "How do you be a pilot?" And they're like, "Well, you have to join the military." Right? That's that's you know, that was the um, the 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 overwhelming uh, misperception is that you know the only way to get to be a pilot is through military training, and so. Um, that was my goal. I joined the military at 17 years old to be a pilot, and uh, it didn't happen. I wore glasses. I didn't make it through the screening process, and I ended up uh, joining the military as an electronics technician, had a great career in the military, but I still wanted to be a pilot, so I took my GI Bill and the money that I was making as a career in the military, and I got my civilian uh, flight ratings, uh, and And then uh, I, I've, ended up, I've owned two aircraft now, and then uh, became a flight instructor in 2009 and since then um, you know dabbled in flight instruction teaching people to fly building experience and I started this little flight club as a group learning activity that I wanted to try in a little town called Lamona which is where you and I happen to meet and so right. I was meeting people in Lamona Lamona has this little it's a little so, uh, just a little background on Lamoni, right? At the time, it was, what I understand, the most impoverished uh, city in the state of Iowa. Right. In, in, most a population city in the impoverished people. county. Right. Yeah. And, and a population of about 1,000 people, from what I understand. Yes. Uh, but they have a small airport there and a really dedicated airport manager who does it as a volunteer who also volunteers to work on a city council and get paid, uh, I don't know, peanuts. I think they take him out for dinner once a year or something. Um, and so uh, he's working really hard to run a business and to you know sort of do all this volunteer work to make the airport grow. And I wanted to try this group learning exercise. Well, he had promoted aviation to so many people. He already had kind of this baseline of students for me. He is not a flight instructor, so we kind of partnered up a little bit. And I said, "Yeah, I'd, I'd love to try this group learning thing." And it would make a sense for me to, it would make it, you know, um, uh, achievable, right, or accessible, or you know, affordable for me to fly down there. Economic, economically, for me to you know pay the expense of flying the airplane down there, teaching a group, and then flying the airplane back, I could still cash flow to the positive. And we did that, and that we started this uh, – it was Lamoni Flight Club to start off with. So we started this little flight club. We started giving each other call signs. We had Crosswind and Mike and um, 007. Some great stories got passed around. Um, and now about half of those students have gone on and gotten their pilot's license now, so that's really encouraging. Yeah, did, Along the way – uh, I had published a book in 2017 called Open Air, which was an introductory guide to aviation. So then, uh, and, and so then, that book is kind of floating around in the background. I'd published it in 2017, 2018, 2019. I'm running this flight club in Lamoni, and um, I got a phone call, and the Minnesota Aviation Hall of Fame called and says, "Hey, we've." We've been introduced to your book through, I don't remember, a series of sources and events, and uh, it's been nominated for the, um, the 2019 Aviation Writing of the Year Award. So uh, that went through the entire process, and I won that award. Now with the 2019 Book Award, you know, now I'm an award-winning author with this book, Open Air, and uh, with that success... I just started to take the the Lamoni flight club and make it the open air flight club. And let's, let's build this same model. Let's duplicate this model at other airports across the country. Let's, you know, across the state of Iowa. And then, you know, eventually we'll launch, we'll roll it out to the the country, which is what you've been helping me do, uh, helping me build along the process. And so your ideas and expertise and, and skill and being able to help do that has been uh, instrumental to this uh, development and growth of our organization. Awesome. Uh, we started the the um, an aviation STEM program uh, uh, at the the school in Lamoni, and so that sort of helped build the model as well. And so now we've got a pretty robust model that we're going to use to uh, grow. I now have I don't know if you even know this. I have in my hand the second edition of my book, which was just. Printed and released, and I received it in the mail last night. So uh, I now have a new cover title um, and a new second edition of the book. I also have 500 Little Wooden Airplanes. So on the cover of the book, uh, for the po- people on the podcast, it says Open Air Flight Club. The subtitle is How People Like Yourself Are Changing the Aviation Industry. And, uh, you know, that's me by me, Jeff Jorgensen. On the back, it's got, um, it's got uh, endorsements from uh, one of the top flight instructors, Rod Machado, who was the voice for Microsoft Flight Simulator, uh, Captain Judy Rice, who did an aviation steam mission around the world. She flew around the world promoting aviation to kids. Uh, 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 Robbie Grayson and my publisher of Trademarker books and uh, Major uh, General Carl G. Snyder, retired Air Force pilot, uh, with, with uh, he's got three books out of his own. amazing Amazingly accomplished gentleman. Um, so I'm very, very honored and blessed to have those endorsements. I'm really excited about the book uh, and the new cover. And on the cover, I have a wooden airplane, like a little toy airplane that you get at any, you know, any, uh, you know, kids uh, airplane kind of toy distribution place, you know, whether it's Uh, The pizza place or a convenience store or a trade show booth or something. These little wooden airplanes, you know, where you got to, you open the package and you slide the flat wing into the the flat body of the airplane. And then you got to stick the tail on and then you throw them and it glides 10 feet, you know, lands on the floor. With that wooden airplane, it's got a shadow of uh, an F-22 fighter. So, you know, if that toy airplane is showing that, you know, that is the initial step, that that initial interest in aviation and playing with those toys can lead to the idea and develop into, you know, an aviation career. So nurturing that interest can really build a lot of um, excitement and nurture that career. So Absolutely. that's really kind of what I'm
0: about with open air. I think it's interesting, and one of the things that I was that that you kind of led me to right off the bat was this not knowing how to get into aviation. And one of the one of the stories that kind of has floated around Southwest Iowa, and probably through some national, I, I think it's been mentioned nationally several times more than I realize, is uh, a gal from Beaconsfield, Iowa, that. As a child or as a teen, she, uh, the story I've always heard is she collected eggs uh, on the farm and and sold the eggs. And that's how she paid for her flight training. And uh, for anybody that's not from Iowa, who I'm talking about is uh, astronaut Peggy Whitson. And so I've always been curious how she... You know, uh, and I and I, I think she did her training maybe back in the seventies or eighties. I'm guessing uh, how she made those connections because you, you know she set several records and and, and she she had quite a career uh, with NASA and of course now
1: she's well, I'm not mistaken. Was she not originally from Mount Air?
0: Well, so I said I said Beaconsfield because about eighty percent of what I read about her says Beaconsfield, but then. Around here, uh, everybody says she's from Mount Air. So I'm actually confused.
1: But the reason I bring that up is because there's no airport that I'm aware of in Beaconsfield, but there that, is in Mount Air.
0: That's right. Uh, I do. I do not believe there to be a, an airport in Beaconsfield, uh, and I'm not even sure. I'm not even sure if Beaconsfield is in uh, is in Ringgold County. I think it might be. But but so that you know, it's always it's always made. I've always been curious about her her story and 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 that sort of thing. But you know, in terms of the book, I know that and, and knowing some of your flight students and some people that have been successful, uh, I know that you've got a fairly systematic approach to to aviation. And 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 one of the things that I know is a lot of people feel like when they learn to fly that they're just going to go jump in a jump in an airplane and they're going to they're going to learn how to to do what you need to do and and one of the things that you've told me is that you go and you you do your ground school first you pass your ground you, you know you go to PSI you take your ground exam uh, and at that point you touch the airplane you know what are the, what are the yeah. other- Thanks.
1: So, so that's the, the, really, that's the whole, thanks for bringing that up. That's the whole crux of my book. So my book lays it all out. So there's a, you know, uh, I know from personal experience when I was in, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. And I asked adults, I'm like, how do you become a, I'm watching airplanes come in and land at this airport and take off. Um, and I'm like, how do, it, how do you get to be a pilot? And they said, well, you have to be really rich or really smart. And I thought, well, drats. That doesn't, that doesn't help. But nobody knew. Nobody knew how you got to become a pilot. And it sounds so ridiculously simple, but the first step was literally, and this wasn't until years later, I literally rode my bike out to the airport and asked. And I, I learned a wealth of information. A lot of people either don't have a, uh, a local airport in their small town they don't know about it. If they do, or they don't go there, or if they do go there, there's so many small airports that are now closed because cities don't know what to do with these airports, and so they they basically um, they 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 shut them down because then that makes them more economical to run an airport because they don't have any expenses, and that's that's the reality today is that airports are a huge gateway for business. An economic activity in a community, but cities don't know how to 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 leverage that. So they the the easy way is to just shut it down because then then they're back in the black, right? They're they're not their their books are are balanced, and it makes it easier for the city. And so Um, in in Iowa,
0: um, and 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 I'm I'm guessing it's it's probably relatively similar across the country. But so in Iowa, we have ninety nine. What I'll call, I'll use the term county-based, and that's not quite what I mean. Municipal, a technical term probably would be municipal. We have 99 municipal airports in the state of Iowa. Uh, you know what? What has that done, or how has that changed over? We'll say the last the, the last 50 years. How how have those airports changed, and what what does your what is open air education doing because of the problems that have occurred over the last 50 years in aviation?
1: Yeah. So, uh, so air aviation infrastructure. Okay. So aviation is about a hundred years, 120 years old, 1903. So 118 years old in this country now. Um, And uh, so aviation is an, is a relatively new, if you think, about it, you know, only 118 years have we ha- even had aviation. So, because of World War One, the golden era of aviation, and then World War Two, uh, we spent an enormous amount of uh, of resources in building what is the largest aviation infrastructure in the world, bar none. Right? Um, still to this day, over half of the aviation operations that happen on the planet. In the entire world, over half of them happen in the United States. So that is not something to be discounted, right? Uh, so we have this aviation infrastructure that built up and then uh, all the way up until about the 70s, right, it was growing and booming. Local airports had their own niche business and they had flight instruction, they had maintenance, they had you know, charters, they do their little air shows, they had flying events and all these other things. And then, you know, with capitalization and population growth, uh, certain airports. So the airlines, the airplanes got bigger and could put more people in them. The runways to handle those got bigger. And so they had to redirect dollars in order to have a two mile long runway or 10,000 foot long runways. You couldn't do that in every community. So they focused those on Des Moines and Cedar Rapids in in Iowa. And then in Davenport uh, are the three main commercial airline uh, operations in the state. Then there was a bunch of regional, Ottumwa, Mason City, um, uh, Davenport. There's a bunch of uh, what are now uh, referred to as essential air service smaller regional airlines that that just make hops to like St. Louis, you know, the other surrounding big cities like Kansas City, Minneapolis, uh, St. Louis. And
0: and just to kind of clarify that, you know, with when, when, when you say, you know, smaller regional airports, it's not like I can go to a Tumwa and buy a ticket to hop to uh
1: well, anywhere.
0: It, yeah. It's,
1: well, uh, up until recently, that's true. So, uh, their their regional airline shut down recently because they restructured the the um, the regional or the I'm sorry, the essential air service. But in you can literally to this day still go to Mason City, for instance, or uh, I know Davenport or uh, Fort Dodge, and I know there's some other ones I can't think them of off the top of my head where you can literally go buy a ticket and fly to Minneapolis. Or Kansas City, St. Louis, you know, certain other uh, hubs. Where then you would get on a large airliner if you were going to London or something, and go from there. Right. So so still can, yeah. So, but but aviation changed, right? So, um, so in the '70s, we had the fuel embargoes, and we had aircraft hijackings. Money started getting. uh, We had, you know, uh, and so decisions had to get made. So some airports grew, and some of them. Sort of shrank, uh, and and the missions sort of changed, right? So then you had the big airports, the regional or medium sized airports, and then you had the small local airports, municipal airports. And what happened was, um, people started chasing the money to the big airports, the regional airports, and the small airports. Um, you know, we have an aging population of pilots, so pilots got older, they started retiring off, uh, and Aviation is not taught in the public school system, so most people don't know anything about it. So there's these people retired that ran these airports and these successful businesses and stuff, there was no backfill of people to replace them. What we've done is a terrible job in this country of mentorship and storytelling. We're not passing on the trades and the stories and the experience to the next generation. So uh, all the, the trade secrets and all the stories and all the business that's built up, Doesn't get passed along; it just dies with the the people when they retire and move on.
0: You know, and you're absolutely right in in public schools. When I think about you know growing up, you know, third fourth grade, you know, we might talk about the Wright brothers. And in Lamoni, uh, Cindy Cindy Pitt, the fifth grade teacher, uh, every year they they would read Hatchet. And uh, so when I was doing my AmeriCorps Vista stint, they I, I knew they were reading hatchet. And so we took the kids to the airport. Uh, but, but outside of that, there, re- there isn't anything. And so what, what's the value, what's the method to, to teach these things and and what are kids really learning and how's that, how's that applying?
1: Yeah. So uh, again, with the book, uh, thanks for that lead in, by the way, that's excellent. So I had that exact experience with the open air flight club at the Lamona high school. The fifth grade teacher there was promoting the book Hatchet. And with that aviation STEM program that we implemented there, we also put in a part of it was the flight simulator. So they studied this book and Hatchet is about a young boy whose father died while they were in flight of a heart attack. And he had to land in the Canadian wilderness and then survive. I think it was for like a week before he was rescued. And so it talked about this young boy whose father died, who had to land this airplane in the wilderness and then survive. And so there's really two key elements. One, landing an airplane in its own right is not something that is just inherently uh, um, possible, right? So that's not a skill set that we were born with or that people would inherently know. So um, that was the first major hu- hurdle that this kid was able to accomplish. The teacher took those kids and put them in a flight simulator, and only about half the kids could even land the airplane. Right. So imagine, imagine that. So he had a 50, you know, if you look at it from that statistically, he had a 50 50 shot of even being able to land the airplane and survive. So
0: talk me through the simulator. So, so I haven't seen the simulator in Lamoni. I, I know a couple people that have used it. Uh, what kind of instruction are these kids getting before they are attempting this landing? If any,
1: uh, you know, in this case, not a lot. Right. So they, they basically get a like a maybe a ten minute overview of uh, how the control so the simulator has uh, a plastic console that is very that's made up to to mimic what a real aircraft console it's got a yoke it's got throttles it's got the gauges on there that's very similar to like a real that's a generic console, but it's similar to what a real aircraft would have in it so the child sits in a seat facing this console. And then above that console are three uh, computer monitors, right? So one right in front of them and then one off each side. And so imagine a sort of a, an angular kind of wing fold-out kind of concept. So they can see the the outside of the air. So the, it mimics sitting in the airplane and being able to look out the windows. So you can see out in the front, you see the propellers spinning around. And then on the sides, you can see, you know, the wings and the wheels and that kind of stuff for the aircraft, high-wing aircraft. And so the kids can actually apply the throttle. They can take off and pull back on the yoke and climb out. They can pull the throttle back and then coast in and come in and kind of aim for the airport. So they got to find the airport or find a place to land and then come in and land on the thing. They get a little bit of instruction about how those controls work, and then they just kind of let them loose and let them do that. And the kids explore and, you know, get to experiment. And they're watching other kids. So, you know, the kids towards the end of the class are doing way better than the first kids that were jumping in there, you know. But um, but part of this is with the book, uh, the Open Air Flight Club, and the new second edition of the book that I have out now, is that introductory guide that doesn't really teach you how to fly; it teaches you how to learn to fly. What school options are there? What um, what scholarships options are there? Uh, you know, uh, what type of aircraft do you learn to fly? And what is the process? And you mentioned this before. I've made this a very modular process. I explained the first step, the second step, right? So getting your student pilot certificate, how to get your medical certificate, how to, uh, what are all the stages of the ground school that you got to learn? What are all the steps of the flight training that you got to learn? Um, you know, and where do you go to learn them kind of thing? You know, what airports, what type of aircraft, um, and, and, where you, where the, and the different types of learning. So there's online learning, there's uh, modular, sort of the old written books types of learning. Uh, there's the traditional, you know, classroom instruction kind of learning. So I talk about all these different things and what kind of explain how they all work, and then people can make the choices of what's going to work best for them. They can they can sort of plug into that and make an informed decision. They're like, oh, I didn't know you could do that or this, and then they can sort of plug in and do what's going to make the most sense for them. I also put in a lot of tips and tricks of things that they can do. That's going to save a lot. I, I learned everything, you know, over the course of ten years over trial and error. I made a ton of mistakes that cost me a fortune. I wish I hadn't have done this, you know. Um, you know, when I bought my first airplane, uh, I got a great deal. Worked out great, and so I was duped into buying a second airplane, and um, that cost me a fortune. It cost me almost nineteen thousand five hundred dollars in uh, maintenance issues that I wasn't aware of because my first aircraft purchase went so well, I didn't realize all these other things I need to look at. I talk about all these things in the book. Um, People that have, you know, there's so much in flight training, but I talk about other careers too. If you want to fly for the military, if you want to fly as a hobby, if you want to fly corporate, if you want to fly helicopters, or if you have an interest in aviation but you don't even know if you want to fly, I talk about other trades like maintenance trades. There's a huge shortage of people that f- fall in the maintenance trades. There's flight attendants. There's line staff. There's, there's airport managers. There's, uh, you know, other people that are just workers out at the airport, you know, ticket agents and that kind of stuff. So I talk about all these different things and I base everything on, of course, you know, which came first, the pilot or the airplane. I, I think we
0: have a good argument, clear back to Leonardo da Vinci, that... The pilot probably came first. You know, look at Da Vinci and even the Wright brothers are looking at birds. How do they do it?
1: That passion to want to fly was a huge driver that inevitably led to the invention of the airplane. I agree 100%. And and that's kind of what I base the book off of is I start with how you become a pilot. And in the process, I walk you through my story and some of my some of the great experiences that i've that I've had over the you know 25, 30 years that I've been flying and uh, some of the other trades and how that they uh, play a role in the aviation community and how it all works together you know so a flight attendant needs to know how a person became a pilot and how the aviation structure works in order to be able to do their job.
0: You know one of the interesting things and you you've said it to me. Uh, a couple times, but I think even before meeting you, I had kind of thought about it in in a couple different regards. But the interesting thing about aviation is that there really isn't an industry or a scenario in our culture that aviation doesn't impact. And that's, that's, that's one of the things that really bothers me. And one of the reasons that I really feel like uh, what open-air education is doing that's why I think it's so important is because there's so many I Mean so many aspects it it, it doesn't matter if it's food service or if
1: it's oh, obviously emergency medicine. There's there's very few things that uh, A- Aviation touches nearly everyone's uh, lives, but so few people less than half of 1% of the people in the United States are pilots so how do how do we change that? Because here's the thing: like
0: I, I understand that you know your journey started well before the internet, but even with the internet, I almost feel like the internet makes the problem worse.
1: Well, so, I, the, so the problem is the problem has changed, but it's not better or worse. So before in, in you know in my day, I had no guidance, right? So traditionally, there's three ways to become a pilot: uh, either either generational, right? So the first Way to become a pilot is trial and error right so the first generation of pilots they learned you know the wright brothers they didn't have a school to go to they just learned it by trial and error a lot of people died before the wright brothers got to that point and they figured it out uh and unfortunately a lot of people died after that trying to mimic their wright brothers uh so there was the self-taught group and then there was the generational or passed on through flight schools or generationally the the passed on group and then there's the military I mean, those are the three traditional ways to become a pilot and um, to 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 your point, then the uh, the book talks about um, you know what those what those look like right you know and when when we talk
0: about the self-talk group specifically now and and, and maybe talk about this in a second. Now you have to have a, a pilot certificate, and there's and there's various levels of that. And I kind of want you to walk through that. But how, in in pilot certificates, you know, we you and I both know that there's still a there's still a way to fly without a certificate, and and I'll have you touch on what that is. What what kind of issues does that cause? What what kind of learning is taking place because of that scenario?
1: Interesting, interesting observation. Yeah, so there is a uh, there's an ultralight category of aircraft, which are you know I I would consider them to be toy airplanes, if you will. Um, So it's basically a lawn chair with a weed eater motor uh, attached to it. Um, that's driving a small propeller, and so these are small aircraft. They're extremely lightweight. Um, they would be much very akin to like the original Wright brothers aircraft, as far as their sturdiness and their and their being lightweight devices. Right. But uh, a lot of engineering and design has obviously gone into them. But they're they're small single occupant aircraft that can take off from small fields, but they can't travel very far because they have a small fuel tank. So they're they're a great hobby like introductory type of thing, but they, there's no practical commercial value, right? They they're not really for travel; they're just for local hobby kind of flying around and enjoying the sensation of flight and doing it. So,
0: so there's two there's
1: two things. So in this
0: in this category, three requirements that I'm familiar with. One is weight, and I can't remember what the exact number is. Uh, I want to say the total weight is maybe maybe somewhere right over a thousand pounds somewhere in that range, single seat and uh, I believe also a five gallon fuel capacity. so what uh, playing off of the five gallon fuel capacity what what is somebody gonna be able to do with this other than maybe fly around a field somewhere?
1: That'd be pretty much it, right so local flight no more than you know, I would say a five or ten mile radius of your local uh wood farm field strip or road or whatever you're using right. it as a runway to take off from. Um, there is a show, and I think you introduced me to this show if I'm not mistaken, uh the girl that flew the birds. I don't even remember the name right. of the show. Yeah, so uh, it's called it's called Fly Away Home
0: and it's 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 actually a true story. Uh I believe she was Canadian. Yes, that uh, taught a group of geese, a flock of geese, to fly, and she she flew them where they needed to go. I and they not- were
1: doing that under the ultralight rule, which is eight hundred and fifty yes. pounds by the way, five gallon fuel capacity. So okay. they were doing it, so they so they had to go to I think was it North or South Carolina that they had to go to yes. to get these birds to migrate or whatever. So they had to do it in a number of hops to get you know to, to get the birds to rest and to get fuel and supplies and that sort of thing to yeah. do this. So it was a several day trip for them, and she pulled it off, and it was, it was a remarkable story. I highly recommend the movie. I'm glad that you suggested it and watched that. But yeah, that's an example of the ultralight. Then there's a the light sport, which is the next step up from that. You have to have a valid uh, driver's license, and the, 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 the now you can have one passenger during the daytime, uh, during visual flight rules, and the weight goes up to 1,350 pounds. And you can carry more fuel. So you can have, as long as you stay under that weight range, you can have as much fuel as you can carry. Um, and so now you can travel sort of longer distances, 20 to 50 miles. And, you know, you're basically flying to 70, 80, 90 mile an hour. And um, and you kind of extend your reach out a little bit. And like I said, all you need is about half the training of regular pilot's license and a valid driver's license to qualify. And and get that uh, certificate. And then there's a the private pilot's license, which then you need not only a valid driver's license, but you need a medical, and then uh, you know 40 hours of flight training, and then you have to take a written exam and a flight, uh, an oral exam and a flight exam, or what they call the practical. The oral and the flight are put together as a practical exam uh, in order to get your private pilot's license. Uh, I talk about all these stages in the book and what, you know, um, what the opportunities are for people. But people there's so many decisions locally, local airports, local flights, local entertainment, local fundraisers. There's so many things that can be done through aviation that people discount or don't even know about because it's it's not taught in the public school system and it's not generationally passed down outside of an aviation family. So only half, half of a percentage of our population are pilots. So it's only, you know, there's only, what, uh, five, six hundred thousand pilots in our entire country uh, that are even passing on or have the ability to pass it on. Not all of kids, not all of them pass it on to their kids if they do. And so it's, uh, it's a disparity of information that is basically uh, being lost. Right, aviation is this was is a uh, a big cultural center of our country. Right, aviation was invented here. We've got the best, most robust uh, aviation infrastructure in the world, and yet half of a percentage of our population really don't even know anything about it.
0: So, so here's so here's one of the things that I want to point out to anybody that's listening. What I think all all of the examples or or bulk of this discussion has really centered around somebody that holds a third class medical certificate or possibly no medical certificate that is flying for fun or or uh, you know very we're, we're not talking about big we're not talking about flying jets we're not talking about the military uh, you know that's been a, that's been a bulk of this uh, just to kind of, to kind of clarify. And I, and I know that, you know, once somebody just talk more about the private pilot side of things, you know, once somebody is, is certificated as a private pilot, you can add your instrument. Correct. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Phone, so even, even if you
1: whatever. fly ultralights, right, then you can add the light sport. Then you can add the private pilot. You can go on to add your instrument with 250 hours then you can add your commercial and then you can start earning money as a pilot, and doing you know flying all kinds of different things. I talk about all these this career path and all these opportunities in the book. And then you can your the highest level is your ATP or airline transportation pilot. Then you're flying either corporate jets or the airlines um, around, uh, you know, for hire. And, and uh, the average wage of an airline pilot is about one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year um and uh, again i talk about that those um salary ranges and the career paths in the book and ways to build hours so to get your atp you have to have 1500 hours of flight time so that's the thing is how do you how do you get 1500s of, yeah. 1500 hours of flight
0: time so, so talk us through two things two things one is so so one of the things that i've learned from talking to you and i i know one of your Successful flight students uh, fairly well, uh, and, I, and I know a couple people that didn't finish. and And two barriers that exist are cost, because you're looking at spending somewhere between ten and fifteen thousand dollars, and the time, because it's forty hours. But depending on your situation and, and the skills you struggle with, you might spend
1: fifty hours in the air. Uh, so yeah, it's, it, it's uh, you know, I talk about this in the book. Fear and finances are the two biggest inhibitors, right? So, is it too expensive for me? And you know, I'm afraid of heights. Half the pilots that I've talked to, I've done an informal survey over the last 25, 30 years that I've been flying. About half the pilots that I talk to are afraid of heights, including myself. I'm terrified of heights. I can't climb the ladder to paint the second story of my house, um, but uh, but I fly airplanes daily. Right? I teach other people to fly airplanes, in fact, and so. Um, you know, the, it, there's a lot of misperceptions about fear and finances again, you know, the ten, fifteen thousand $15,000. Yeah. That's a really scary number to some people. That's more than the cost of a car. That's more than what I paid for my car. Um, and so, uh, wow, that's a really scary number. How am I going to come up with that kind of money? Well, there's, there's all kinds of ways. There's, there's, um, scholarships, there's grants, there's, um, uh, sort of what do you call that? The learn to earn kind of programs, like a uh, ship type programs. And, and I'm yeah, sure some of the
0: airlines, because of the pilot shortage, uh, which we haven't talked about, uh, because of the pilot shortage that exists in 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 our country, uh, my guess is that if you were already a private pilot and wanted to go up, I, I'm guessing that some of the airlines might have you know ways to help people build skills, but to initially get in. You know uh, there are scholarships, uh, and that's one of the things I know we want to do with Open Air Education is is work towards offering uh, scholarship and 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 helping people with those resources.
1: Yeah, and it's it's a it's um, everybody's needs are different, and so that's one thing one thing that I've that I've had to uh, build into the Open Air model is that every there is no one solution that's going to help everybody uh, become a pilot right that some people be- everybody has different barriers whether it's finances whether it's self-esteem um, you know there's there's a lot of young females that believe they can't become a pilot because their parents have taught them you know that's for boys or their family or their culture whatever there's a lot of minorities or impoverished kids that don't believe they can be a pilot. I've seen this in the classroom. Uh, I've gone in the classroom and, you know, I I get introduced as a pilot and I walk in. I said, hey, boys and girls, uh, my name's Jeff. I'm going to be a pilot. We're going to talk about aviation today. What's everybody think? And some of the kids are like, hey, that's awesome. Some of the kids are underneath their desks or they're at the back of the room talking amongst each other. They've already discounted it. They have no interest. They don't believe it's accessible to them. And these are eight, nine, 10 year old kids. They've already, you know, they're. Their upbringing, the, their, their school environment, their local community, for whatever reason, they've never been experienced or exposed to aviation. They've never flown. They don't know anything about it. And so the, the subliminal message or subconscious message that's taught down to these kids is it's not accessible to them. It's not for you. You can't do that.
0: Right. And, which, and, I, saw, and I, saw, I saw one of those situations play out in Lamoni, which was really
1: yeah. interesting. And when I, when I called these kids and so yeah, you were there. I forgot about that. So I, um, I called some of these minorities and females up to the front of the class. And I said, I've got prop, literally a propeller from an airplane. I said, Hey, you guys want to, you guys want to hold a propeller? And they, they, you know, so then they stand up and they're they're like, who are you talking to me? Yeah, absolutely. And so they stand up and I give them a a real propeller off one of my old airplanes and they're holding it. They're like, wow, it's. It's actually a lot lighter than we thought it would be. That's really cool. And they're looking at it. And then I say, hey, guys, I'm going to see some charts or maps that pilots use. And I lay them out. And they're like, wow, what's this symbol mean? I'm like, well, that's an airport. These are mountains. And these kids went from completely discounting aviation to all of a sudden now they're asking pertinent questions. They're like, well, how high can airplanes fly? How, How far can they go? We had a kid. When I took
0: uh, I took the Lamoni fifth grade out to the Lam- uh, the airport uh, uh, with uh, with a mutual uh, contact of ours, uh, uh, Jordan Omstead, and you know they were asking all sorts of of, of questions, you know, relatively basic, you know, uh, different things, and then we had a kid that that asked uh, what the PSI was in the tires, and. Jordan and I both, I I, I think Jordan answered the question pretty quickly, if I recall uh, properly. But after the fact, it was like, wait a minute, that kid was really thinking about how the tires, the the physical base of the aircraft, affected how this thing worked. And I think that's your value and the value in, in open air education is The STEM elements of aviation, using STEM as an ideal STEM platform, or uh, aviation as an ideal STEM platform to break down technology,
1: science, math,
0: engineering. I mean, it all plays in.
1: STEM is uh, an acronym in education used for science, technology, engineering, and math. Uh, Some people use STEAM, which stands for science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. And uh, one of the things I talk about in the book is that the A is hotly contested because I think it should stand for aviation. Uh, but being in Iowa, I'm fighting with some of the ag programs in the school for that A use as well. Uh, but it's all good and fun and humor in that, but aviation is an ideal STEM platform. And you're exactly right. That's what I was getting at before with the book as a general introductory guide. It's a great place for anybody to start because it, it, uh, I share all of my stories and experiences, and I start talking about you know um, just some of the overview of that. But the reality is, everybody's situations are different. Somebody's going to cue into something that they can relate to, whether it's the tire PSI or the you know pressure, of the pounds per square inch in the tire, uh, and that tire pressure, and how that affects the operation of aircraft. To um, the you know how you get in and out of an aircraft, whether it's a high wing or a low wing. Or, you know, whether it's flying off of water or a grass strip or a paved runway. Right. Um, and, and all these stories in here. And people can relate to them differently. But depending on where they're at in the country and what their life experiences are, that's where open air can really shine. And that we can help pair them or help them find resources in their specific area that's going to help guide them in the direction that they want to go and help them get there. So... Uh, as you as you were
0: saying that, I, I'm kind of thinking through, you know, the very various elements of STEM. I think that a lot of people feel, or their their perception at least is that learning to fly is simply learning the controls, right? And that, and you and I both know that's not true. It, there, there are certain tactic tactics if you're flying into if you're landing in a crosswind, you you do certain things. Uh, but so one of the early things that And where the stem value starts to come in is, uh, at least in the gold uh, gold seal ground school methods,
1: uh, one of the first things you learn about is is weather. That's exactly right. So weather is a key element, and that's both for fixed wing and rotorcraft. So, you know, when we talk about aviation basics, um, part of what I do with open air is I work with fixed wing. I work with rotorcraft. Um, I'm also a Part 107 drone uh, commercial uh, unmanned aerial vehicle operator or commercial drone pilot, if you will, and I talk about that in the book as well. Weather is central to all of them, right? All things that fly fly in the same atmosphere, and the weather affects them all basically the same way. So that is a key element that kids, first of all, kind of learn some basics of weather in school, but they don't really expand on it. And they certainly don't expand it in any way that's meaningful towards aviation. So, but it isn't difficult then for kids to be able to take what they're learning in school about weather and then to relate to that when they're talking about aviation and that second building block and take, hey, you know, uh, the sun heats up the air and causes lift, and that lift makes you know the air and the moisture lift up and cool off in the atmosphere, and then it comes back down. Uh, you know, in the process of building a storm, and then coming back down as rain. And they see these the the thermals and the lifting, and then the downdrafts and the rain, and they see all these other things. And then, how does that create wind? What are isogonic lines? And we can we can build off of all those lessons and expand on it. And even if you're not interested in being a pilot, you can see how that relates to aviation. You can understand more about pilots. And so, or if you're going to travel on an airplane, whether it's a small airplane for taking a ride, or if you're gonna fly on the airlines on a business trip or on vacation to I mean, who doesn't want to take a a, a, a Hawaii vacation and fly on the airlines and go to Hawaii? Um, I've never heard anybody say, Well, wow, I can't wait to get on a ship and steam for six days or whatever it takes to get to Hawaii and then turn around and steam for another six days or whatever it takes to get back from Hawaii. um, You know, everybody's going to fly there because it's a huge time saving, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a time travel. You know, aviation is, is like time travel. It's a huge time saving invention. That's basically a time machine. So so let's
0: let's talk about drones real fast because uh, I'm in the process right now of, of studying to go take my my part one hundred uh, mm-hmm. and seven exam, and so I've I've you know you don't you don't have to you don't have to demonstrate your flying ability to take the exam it's a written exam, but part of my study was going and flying uh, and ultimately crashing uh, my brand new drone, uh, which, which was interesting. Uh, that was totally pilot error. I'll just call it out. Cause it was completely unequivocally pilot error. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I, the night that I crashed, uh, I, I'm walking home from work and I ran into a guy that had his drone up in the dark, mind you uh, which, which, uh, if you have your part 107 or if you're studying for it, you should know you're not really supposed to do that. Uh, and he was high enough that he really could have had some problems. Uh, you know, so, so there, there really are some great things to learn, uh, you know, through, through what you're doing about people that just want to have fun. Uh, and, and there's even still some rules around people that don't have their commercial abilities. Uh, now the weather, the weather piece, uh, I don't think people take it into account. Uh, you know, they think, oh, it's a little windy, I'm okay. But they don't understand how that wind affects the drone at various heights. They don't think about if I'm at, you know, 25 feet, it's gonna do one thing. If I'm at, you know, my, uh, I believe it's 400 feet max, it's gonna do something different. People don't think about that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, and there's so many elements to weather that people think that they know because they're like, okay, well, it's either windy or it's not windy. That's a big part of it, but there's also things in there like adiabolic lapse rate. there's density out to, there's pressure out to, and all of these play a role and um, affect the performance of the drone. So and nobody knows all this stuff. like I didn't you you're not born with this inherent knowledge, right? And so it's baby steps. So you start with you know the open air flight club book, uh, how people like yourself are changing the aviation industry. This introductory guide. Um, and you know, the other thing is I have a you know, I've built uh, the open air flight club, so you can go to openairflightclub.com and you've helped me with my website, so I want to promote that out there. Um, you know, Bollinger Solutions is uh, you know, kind of a one-stop shop that's really helped develop and grow an organization, whether it's a for-profit or nonprofit, and a lot of skill and expertise in that I appreciate immensely. But with the with that book being an introductory guide and then um, all those steps. So explaining what the next steps are going to be. I'm, you know, I don't teach everything that you need to learn in here. I teach you how to learn it, where you go to, what are the next steps? Here's your sources of information. Here's where you go next. Here's the next step. And all these little building blocks are laid out in such an easy to read uh, manner. And the open air organization is designed to connect everybody with the resources, with the pilots in your area and the airports and the, and uh, the other organizations, there are so many organizations that are out there that are doing awesome things. I can uh, there's they call them the alphabet organization. There's literally thousands of them that nobody knows about because they're they're so insular and they're doing everything sort of behind the scenes and they're phenomenal, but they're kind of the, you know, only the in crowd know about them, right? So that less than a half percent, so there's only six hundred thousand people that are pilots in the United States, in all these thousands of organizations, and um, how do you get into them? Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm providing the key. Right. So they're open, they're Absolutely. Like up. I said earlier,
0: I, I almost feel like the Internet has made learning worse because oh, – yeah. It, you it, brought it, that up
1: earlier, and I, got, oh. I think I digressed from that a little bit. So my original problem was I didn't know anything about aviation and there was no resources. There was no internet. I went to the the library and I studied the car catalog. I asked people and they didn't know. So I hit a lot of brick walls and I had to do stuff the hard way. Now, people just Google, how do you become a pilot? And there's literally, I did this this research for my book when I wrote it, millions of hits. And so the first one that comes up is obviously the one they're going to go to because that's the one that's most used. Well, uh, you know that, that's a specific flight school selling their specific service. Maybe not a great source, but but now people are planning. Hey, I've got to go to this specific flight school to get my pilot's license. When there's literally hundreds of other options that they're they're not aware of, and so um, that is that that is the problem with the internet is that people don't have any way to qualify that, and so. Is that flight school the best for them? Um, And of those millions of hits on the uh, Internet, they're they're not learning about funding and other resources and the best ground school versus the best flight school and all the other options. And so you could do, you could become a, I'm using air quotes here, a Google expert and 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 spend hours and hours and hours researching down and finding all these and and people watch youtube videos and they get a lot of really bad advice you should do this thing and then they should do this thing and and then it turns out people are are doing a lot of the wrong things and once you've learned something incorrectly it's way harder to go back and relearn it correctly than if you just learned it the pr- proper way in the first place. Absolutely. And you know, one of the things I
0: really like about open air education, I mean, I like the whole thing and, and I'm not just being, I'm not just being uh, selective because I've helped, uh, you know, make the whole thing a reality. But one of the things that, that I really enjoy is the $99 lifetime membership. That exists, and what a tremendous resource uh, that is! So, talk us through the ninety-nine dollar lifetime membership through uh, th- through the organization, and and what what is that going to do for people, and how can that help somebody start a journey? I'll say this too, so I don't forget, and that is uh, one of the things we haven't talked about is we, we've both said multiple times that that you know, this is an ideal STEM platform in youth and all, and all these things. What we haven't talked about is how easy it is for youth to actually get involved in aviation and to make that part of their lives as they become adults. So I'm kind of wrapping two things into one.
1: Yeah, a uh, piece of cake. I'll just do all the things. First of all, the open air flight club. Yeah, I had to make some, you know, when you when you start an organization and when you're the, the executive director of an organization, I have to make some difficult choices. And um, like I said, the, the book was an introductory guide that started with that. And then the second step was that local flight club that we decided with the with the success of running the award at the book, we grew into that. We decided to launch a a larger organization that would, you know, go statewide and then eventually national. Um, and so, growing that obviously that, that ninety nine dollars is is helping us grow that organization, right? So I'm not gonna I'm not I'm not gonna um, uh, I'm not gonna shy away from that fact because I my board of directors is all over the country. Um, you know, Carl Schneider, uh, Major General Carl G. Schneider is in Nashville. my publishers in Nashville. Uh, Captain Judy is out on the East Coast. She's out in, uh, I believe it's Philadelphia now. She's a flight instructor out there. She's flown around the world. She's working on flight schools. Um, uh, I've got a, Navy, a retired Navy helicopter pilot that moved to, he's out East somewhere now. And he, he was in Texas and then he's moved around. I'm up in Pala, Iowa. And the networking is, um, you know, Rod Machado's out in California. I've got connections in New York. So, we're already a national based organization. I'm using air quotes here uh, because I've got people all over the place and I'm talking to people. I've got a chapter in Florida uh, that's starting up in Knoxville, Iowa. And um, we're talking to so many people. So, these resources, and I've also been in, in, um, instrumental in launching a magazine called Avi Nation Magazine. And this is a revolutionary magazine that is the only aviation magazine that's done for youth. By you, right? So young people are writing the uh, the content and the articles for this, and uh, most of them were my flight students or my connections in aviation. The publisher Jacob Pete has done a phenomenal job, and so with the uh, with that ninety nine dollar lifetime membership, so one time, uh, other aviation organizations out there are fifty bucks a year. Uh, some of them are like, you know, 49, $50 a year for, you know, so every year you got to pay that 50 bucks, $50. So in two years, right, you've, you've spent a hundred dollars for an organization and then you don't want to be long anymore. Uh, or, or, you know, so every year you got to spend that extra 50 bucks. You you can spend thousands of, you know, if you're in high school, you could spend thousands of dollars in membership over, over the course of a lifetime to get the books and the magazines and the. The connections to people, where I'm just doing as a one-time fee, ninety-nine dollars. You get a copy of the book. I'm going to throw in a bunch of swag. I've got these little airplanes. I've got a bunch of other swag. I'm going to throw in for that uh, subscription. A first year subscription to the Avi Nation magazine, which is going to introduce you to, like I said, there's thousands of these alphabet organizations out there. It's going to start introducing you to them and the people that are running them, and the, and where they're at and how to how to be involved. Um. We're, we're going to have um, uh, resources for scholarships. We're going to have grants. We're doing fundraising and stuff for grants. Um, we're doing research, but um, there's stuff that's going on in the background. We're going to have uh, syllabi. We're going to have other programs, other, um, other documents, and downloads and resources for people all through our website. And as the organization grows, our ability to connect to more and more people is going to grow and to get thousands of dollars in scholarship money and tens of thousands of dollars of resources for uh, whatever your career path are over the years. And we're going to connect you to events and benefits and perks, you know, open air members are going to get into open air events for free. Uh, And as, as we grow, we're going to have more and more events. So that $99 investment is going to really, turn into a major lifetime investment over the years uh,
0: the other <laughs> thing i'm going to mention about
1: the website uh,
0: and and i'll admit i haven't done this yet uh, there's a great merchandise section on there uh, i really want my uh what's uh what's said in flight club stays in flight uh, flight club uh t-shirt uh, <laughs> so uh you know there, there's some great stuff out there too so you know, we've covered a lot of ground and, and I and I think we can we can cover more in, in maybe a future episode or two. How do people
1: get the book and 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 what's the cost on it? Join the join the flight club, right? So openairflightclub.com. Go there, spend the nine dollars, you get a copy of free copy of the book. Uh, you get a copy of the magazine, you get swag, you get uh, all this other access to materials and, and things through the website. That is, that is by far the most preferred method. Um, the book itself originally retailed for 2992 and there's an aviation lesson behind that. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to leave it at that. So I'm not going to tell you what the lesson is because that's one of the, one of the spiels that I give in my presentation. When I do speak at organizations, when I talk about it, that's one of the sort of things that this, the first aviation lesson. Uh, but if you want to go to Amazon, the book is on Amazon. Um, Uh, in print, and uh, it's Open Air Flight Club, how people like yourself are changing the aviation industry. And uh, so it's out there on Amazon. You can go buy it directly and have it sent to yourself. But really, uh, for a little bit more, you can join the uh, lifetime membership in the Open Air Flight Club and make a huge difference in the future of aviation for a lot of people. I've learned so much uh, working
0: on this project, and I knew... Uh, when I met you, you know, we met to talk about one thing, but as uh, the interesting thing was uh, you and I had two interesting correlations. Or one was you had written a book. I was writing a book at the time. Yeah.
1: Uh, what you mentioned me in your book, by the way, and uh, yes. that's what, what, a, what a great book uh, and and a great honor. So I appreciate that. I was glad that I was able to uh, I I think I kind of inspired you to finish your book cuz you were writing on it you found out I wrote a book and you're like wow if this dolt could write a book I can and uh you did. and so I'm I'm glad that I was able to encourage you through uh, my process so you know, that's really you neat in a lot of ways because I honestly
0: felt like when i when i finished my phd i felt like at some point i should write a book but i thought that i had to have certain things happen or be at a certain phase in life to do it and the gentleman that really kicked me into gear to doing it you know basically said hey you just need to need to, he he told me to shut up and write the damn book which i tell that story in the book uh you yeah. know but but knowing Knowing other authors is a key part to writing to writing a book and And that's an episode in itself too. Uh, but the other the other thing is uh, I had grown up with a couple of misperceptions about aviation, and in our first you know hour long conversation, you dispelled just about every single one of those, uh, which was great. so. Uh, so openairflightclub.com, Facebook, and is
1: there a YouTube channel? Uh, you know, there is, there's an open air flight club, YouTube channel as well. Um, where you, you were help. you were instrumental in bullying. Your solution was instrumental in helping me launch, do my first, uh, launch event last year. And so we got video from that on the YouTube channel and some other, uh, YouTube and some We've got a Facebook page that we do some Facebook lives and stuff, and well connecting through social media. And again, uh, you know, the Open Air Flight Club is a great initial resource for people. Join with a one-time, uh, lifetime membership, and we will continue to work hard to connect you with all the other organizations and plug you in. What's going to make sense for you, right? It really um, because we're still a small and growing organization, we can really customize and and help people in a very personal level uh, achieve success and and we have the passion and drive to really want to help you do that. Thank you so much for having me on. This has been great. I I really
0: enjoyed doing this and I I really hope what what you're doing helps change the face of not only aviation but education and and the other thing is I feel like aviation has Interpersonal benefits, right? Like people look at the cost and might say, Why would I do this? Why would I do this for a hobby? But it can give, just in talking to you and in talking to other people, I've learned it really can be a confidence builder. It can, I I feel like it could prove a lot
1: of things to somebody. The benefits are indescribable because they really do uh, promote self esteem and self empowerment. Right. So you are learning to do something that less than half one percent of the of people in the United States can do. Right. So it is a uh, it is no small achievement to become becoming a pilot. But it's also, uh, uh, you know, one of my flight students spoke to this at our event and she said, look, uh, being a pilot was not nearly as difficult as what she thought it would be in her head. It wasn't as expensive. It wasn't as terrifying. It wasn't as dangerous. And she's like, it was still a lot of work. It's still not easy. But my book and the Pro- and the open air flight club and the support that we have through our team is uh, the series of building blocks that we walk you through and get you from point A to point B and, and make it seem very, very easy. So it's a very uh, uh, making aviation accessible, affordable, and achievable is very, very important to uh, the Open Air Organization and the Open Air Flight Club, and we are doing it. Thank everybody for
0: listening. And if if you want to learn more, uh, if you're interested in being on the podcast, and we're going to put a bunch of stuff in the show notes. Uh, link to the website and and some things like that. Feel free to uh, to contact me through the BollingerSolutions.com dot com website uh, with any questions, and and we'll have Jeff's information in the in the show notes if you're listening on uh, on a podcasting platform. Uh, thank you, everybody, and we will see you next time. And
1: by Jesse's book, calling all volunteers, right? So that's that's. Uh... Uh, once you become a pilot, we're going to need volunteers to help you do aviation events. So,
0: yeah, well, and and, and not even I, I'll take it. I'll take it a step further. Uh, actually, Jeff, you know one of the things, and 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 we'll do an episode on this at some point too. People struggle with ways to volunteer sometimes because organizations don't necessarily ask, right? And so there are opportunities for pilots. And and am I correct that if you hold a private pilot certificate? you cannot charge. However, I believe that the regulations will allow you to fly for charitable events. So like Able flight or whatever it may be.
1: I, I, I talk a lot about that in the book, uh, ways to build hours and build times towards your career goal. And uh, yeah, absolutely. Charity, charitable events is one of the ways that you can build uh, you know, free or very low cost flight time. So huge amount of resource in the book. And connection to those um, uh, resources and events and organizations that can help you at a very personal level um, connect through the open air and uh, the open air flight And uh, hey, I got to run, but we'll see you in the open air. All right. Sounds good. Thank you, Jeff. And we'll see everybody next time.
0: The Dr. Show my learn something you don't know. The Dr. J
1: Show knowledge is how you grow. The Dr. J Show, oh no, here we go. The Dr. J Show.